This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, it's another day of sex, hopefully for you, uh, and which is why perhaps you have come to this station tonight, 8 o'clock, to talk about that uh, very subject, that secret society known as sex. You know, the one where everyone's doing it and no one's talking about it, except, of course, yours truly, here every Sunday night on the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. The show is more than a sex show, but I am trying to seduce you to listen to information about sex, health, relationships, your body, and also, above all else, love. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other, researcher, blogger, clinician, TED speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about sex, health, love, your body, and everything in between. Those sheets, I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies, just fearless, straight-up sex talk. That relates to health and love and everything else because sex is related to everything. In life, let's hope for you, it will be illuminating, educational, get you thinking outside of the box and have a little bit of fun. So do stay with me. Thanks for joining me. I would like to say there's an aspect of sexual health that is dark and dreadful. It is one of our societal malignancies and that is sexual abuse, unwanted sexual advances, pedophilia and rape. Of course, for those of you who have been sexually abused, you are never far from my heart. I wish you all the best on your healing journey, and I keep you in my thoughts and prayers always. And I am always saddened when I hear about it. And recently, even this week, I met with a person, um, you know, high, a very successful person at the top of their career and disclosed to me that they had been sexually abused as a child, and it was familial which is not always unusual. And uh, this particular person also mentioned that her parents, who had been sexually abused as well, fought tooth and nail to prevent it from happening to her, and yet it still did. Uh, It's one of those things that is so difficult um, to figure out, to talk about, to deal with. And we try and address these subjects on this program, along with a lot of other Subjects as well. We're going to take off where we left off from last week. Um, This show is a building block show, if you will. Kind of have the, um, well, let's just say the little less sensitive subjects at the beginning of the the show, so for the first hour, and then we get a little bit more risque at 9 o'clock. So the show goes from 8 to 10, so you know that. So here's a little warning. Um, Please put the children to bed. Listener discretion is advised. We're talking about SEX, although... My guess is the children are so smart today that they're going to be able to spell that anyway. Mommy, she's talking about sex. Um, thank you, honey. Good night. Uh, it's going to get easier to put those kids to bed because the sun is going to start to set sooner uh, as each day as we progress throughout the year. Um, so we've got lots of subjects tonight on the program. Uh, one subject I talk about Maybe not enough, but I certainly deal with it a lot in my clinical practice, and that is the subject of infidelity. And uh, there's a new study out uh, showing or that demonstrates that people over the age of 55 are more likely to engage in infidelity. And they're just like, whatever, you know, is this it? 
Might as well have a little bit more fun. Well, what's that study really about? Well, I'm going to review that study with you a little bit later on in the program. Also going to be talking about some of the facts about infidelity. We live in the world of denial when we talk about infidelity. When I first started doing this work, I started working at the BC Center for Sexual Medicine. And I started working in sexual health research with men with spinal cord injury and uh, erection and ejaculation and autonomic dysreflexia. And those are the things we dealt with because sex can be life-threatening for a person after they've had a spinal cord injury. And people always think of the walking as the biggest issue. Well, it's not. Um, For quads, it's hand function. And for paraplegics, it's bladder, bowel, and sexual health. And in that order, people can overcome the inability to ambulate or to walk through wheelchairs. And we're actually looking at, um, there's some exoskeletons that are being developed. But when sex becomes life-threatening, that is you know, something to really be mindful of so it can really change. And you have to find other ways. There are, there are beautiful benefits to it because you often have to enlighten or awaken other sensual and erogenous zones of your body that may have gone to sleep for a while. So that was some of the research that I did. I carried on to do some more research around hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women. And a lot of the women would say they, in order to enroll in this particular study, they needed to be, want to be, in a relationship, they had to have been in a committed relationship for greater than a year, and they have to have had not had sex for at least a year as well. There were so many, I had 500 phone calls when we put an ad in the Vancouver Sun, and women who said, your ad spoke to me. One of the problems with the study was that one of the exclusion criteria was people who were on antidepressants, and about 50% of those people who Uh, had answered the call for that research study were on antidepressant medication only. They weren't even utilizing other conservative measures like eating healthily, cutting down on sugar, alcohol, exercising every day, 30 minutes of walking is as good for depression as any antidepressant for mild to moderate depression anyway. Uh, So we had to eliminate a lot of um, women. We also had to, this was a heterosexual study, another flaw in the study. So Homosexual women, same-sex couples were excluded as well. Not fair either. And it doesn't actually give us the good information because it doesn't give us the broad demographic of women who are having sex out there. And uh, and so, you know, this is the other thing. We have a paucity of women's health, especially women's sexual health research. And uh, through my organization, WIN, or the Women's Health Initiative Network, a national not-for-profit organization, it's actually, I'm hoping it to be a national it's actually provincial at the moment. Uh, we've done a lot of work. We've done consumer research around uterine fibroids, and I have more consumer surveys upcoming. Um, but there's a, been a lot of work um, that has gone into that, and I hope to become a resource for uh, women's health and women's sexual health research. Certainly, it's uh, I discuss on at the Women's Health Initiative Network, or we discuss um, the below-the-belt issues, so uterine fibroids and bladder health issues, vaginal health issues, sexual health issues, all of those may impact the quality of life for a woman. But getting back to the um, research study, uh, with, which was around hypoactive sexual desire disorder, the women presented and they, they were in relationships, they were in committed relationships, they wanted to remain in the relationship, yet they weren't having sex with their partner. And all of them said the same thing to me. I just have no sexual desire, they said. And then they all said this, but my husband is so patient. And I thought, wow, really? That's amazing, because I believed them. 
I learned later as I carried on with that research and met some of those men, the men had not been patient. There are things about infidelity that we don't know and that we deny and that we don't understand. So shedding light on any of these stigmas, any of these secret things that go on that may impact our marriage, our relationship. When you find your husband online communicating with somebody else, it can be the biggest betrayal ever. But sometimes it's just about the sex. But that doesn't, for some reason, make people feel better. Also, some women will say, I don't want to have sex with them, but I don't want anyone else to either. So hopefully you've put the kitties to bed because we've already gotten uh, away with uh, some of this sex talk here. Um, but, you know, we need to educate and we need to talk about it and we need to educate our children about uh, choosing the right person when they marry. And look at some of the, of the pitfalls or some of the issues that, you, that they, they might foresee if they marry somebody with a particular type of baggage, for example. So, you know, who would think that brain architecture may contribute to infidelity? Well, it does because we have, we as humans have three different primary brain systems that are related to love. So it's very complex. A lot of these subjects are complex, which is why uh, I'm able to discuss it at different levels each week, and I'm so delighted that you are here with me. If you have any questions at all, give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell, or you can email me, sextalk at cknw.com. I will be reading some of your emails as well, and thank you so much for those. So email me, sextalk at cknw.com. Put the kids to bed. Stay with me. We're going to address some of those heartbreaking and heartfelt subjects that are related very intimately to our relationships. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. Thanks so much for being here with me. You know, this is a sex show, but we do talk about health. and There are certain things that, uh, you know, that contribute to your health and they are bad habits. Do you have any bad habits? I know I do. Um, and uh, but this one is one I don't have because it actually grosses me out. But I'm going to review some of the bad habits and how they may affect your health. Do you crack your knuckles? Okay, that drives me crazy. It may annoy, annoy your friends, your lover, your coworkers. And it's, you know what? It's not good for you either because there's a certain fluid. It's called synovial fluid. It keeps your joints moving easily. It's also a little bit of a sign of, of nervous anxiety. But the synovial fluid... Um, comes, uh, you know, will actually, it helps your joints to move and everything. But when you crack your knuckles, that sound comes from when you pop tiny bubbles in the fluid. And if you do it all the time, you're more likely to have swollen hands and a weaker grip over time. So it doesn't, however, contribute to arthritis. How about nail biting? Okay, aside from it's gross, it can damage your teeth as well as the skin around your nail and it may lead to an infection. You can also get more colds. Uh, People who bite their nails apparently get more colds and other illnesses because you're putting your fingers around your mouth and your fingers, no matter how many times you wash them, um, they they are a vehicle for infection and bacteria and germs. And you can carry those germs into your mouth. Uh, So you don't want to do that. Just keep your nails neatly trimmed or get a manicure. That's so much better if you have stress and that's why you're biting your nails. 
maybe switch to exercise or just be being aware that you bite your nails and it doesn't actually look nice either bitten nails look gross and it <laughs> and i'm going to judge here okay people <laughs> i judge people who bite their nails what's going on in their lives okay that's not exactly judgment but you know what i'm saying um it's not as attractive and your nails don't have to look perfect all the time but just nice to keep them trimmed so how about your sleep how is that going for you if you don't get enough sleep you can turn yourself into a daytime zombie. So you may also have more, um, a higher risk of high blood pressure. So anything like above 130, over 85, I would say, you're at greater risk for heart disease. You you, you got to know your number too. It's actually, um, you know, the higher your blood pressure, the more pressure on your vessels and the more likely you, or greater risk you have of getting heart disease, and it's the number one killer of men and women. You're also more likely to get diabetes and, of course, depression because when you're tired, it's harder for you to learn. It's harder for you to remember things. And so, you know, people should get seven to eight hours. I hear so many people are like, I only need four to five hours of sleep. Well, I need like nine, okay? <laughs> but I'm exhausted, you know, doing, you know. Uh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, this is something I definitely don't do either. I wear a lot of headphones here at the um, at the studio, but I don't blast my headphones um, when listening to music or anything. Because if you're around loud noise a lot, you may actually lose your hearing as you age. And this happens naturally already with 50% of people by the age of 75. And hearing loss in older adults is actually linked to thinking problems and cognitive issues and even brain tissue loss. And so people miss out on the conversation. You've got to protect your hearing because if you can't hear, you cannot be a part of the conversation. It can lead to frustration and it can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety and it can lead to feeling left out and low self-esteem. So you want to... Uh, well, just know that music or sound is measured in decibels and normal conversation is about 60 decibels, although my voice can carry like 6,000 decibels in a room. I don't even have a microphone when I do presentations half the time. But anyway, that luckily they they manage my the volume of my voice here at the studio, thanks to the fabulous tech production here of Matt. Um, but you want to keep your volume below 75, so about as loud as a vacuum cleaner to be safe and don't listen to more than a couple of hours at a time. A lot of people put those headphones in before they go to sleep and they go to sleep to them and then they're on all night long and they're too loud and it's not good. Something else you definitely don't want to do is you don't want to surf the net before you go to bed. That blue light that is given off by electronic gadgets like computers and iPads and iPhones and television sets can actually interfere with your sleep. So any too much of any kind of light, there are some studies to support that it may be linked to cancer, especially breast and prostate cancer. It also can, of course, because it's interrupting your sleep, it may increase your risk of diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. So if you want to meditate before you go to bed, um, that's a good thing. There's lots of free apps down out there. That, uh, Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra are about it midway between a free uh, meditation um, time. So it's like 20 minutes a day and you just have to lie there and listen to them. Of course, keep it below 60 decibels, don't forget. Um, but do whatever it, you need to to calm yourself before going to bed. Having sex is a good thing, just getting it in there. So if you want to read something, open up a book. A couple of books I can recommend. Uh, that I One of them I just finished 
It's by Fanny Flagg, who wrote Fried Green Tomatoes. Just somebody randomly recommended I buy it in the airport. I was buying something else, and she said, I love this book. You've got to get this book. And I'm like, she's like, Fried Green Tomatoes, Fanny Flagg. I'm like, okay. And I bought it, the all, green, the all Girl Filling Station's Last Reunion. And it was a great little read. Uh, it was about the um, female pilots in, of course, who got no credit. Um, feminism is uh, not as alive and well as colonialism is, I'm sure, um, as I know. But anyway, uh, I digress. Um, but it's a great book. And it uh, actually, it's about a woman who at the age of 60 learns that she is um, adopted and she's concerned about her health history. But also it chronicles or sort of flips back and forth between her biological family where there were a lot of these female pilots who um, helped win, with World War II but were given no credit whatsoever until much later, until posthumously actually. Um, and so it was a really interesting historical little piece and, you know, about somebody coming of age in a way and, and uh, learning, trying to learn more about themselves and and their worries and their relationship with their mother and what their life might have been like and and quite interesting. And right now it's a bit late but I'm reading The Shack which has been out for about a decade but the the movie is coming out soon as well. So I always have a book. I suggest you always have a book. It's a better way to fall asleep. Um also this is the the new cancer apparently and that's just sitting for long periods of time and I have to say I am guilty of this and we got nothing to be guilty But I am guilty of this. Most Americans, they say, and Canadians spend too much time in chairs. And that's the modern workplace in which we live. There's a suggestion out there, which I love and I do it myself. Because, you know, people will say to me, oh, I want to pick your brain. I'm going to take you out for dinner. And I'm like, I don't want to go out for dinner. You can pick my brain, but let's walk along the seawall instead. So I would much rather have, because restaurant food is so fattening. It's so delicious for a reason. It's way better in the restaurant than it is in your own home because they put lard and butter and cream and everything in it. And so I actually, th- that is not a way to get to my brain, if that if you dare. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to, but is uh, not through uh, food. <laughs> it's through exercise. So I would much rather do the grouse grind. I would much rather walk the seawall. I would much rather just walk the streets of this city to meet and talk with you as opposed to sitting down in an office, indoors, that unhealthy air. So that when you're sitting at your computer all the time, and I certainly spend enough time on my computer for the work that I do or because of the work that I do, but every opportunity I get, I have walking meetings. And that we need to make that happen in our workplaces because if you're sitting down in a chair, it slows your circulation, it slows your metabolism. You can gain weight. It's also linked to heart disease so you know what? If you can't have walking meetings, I, I mean, I have my own business, so I'm, it's easier for me to just suggest that. And, you know, if you want to talk to me, let's go. Let's take a stroll. Um, maybe grab a coffee along the way and, and bring it with us. But uh, even coffee, just, um, just one cup a day. But, uh, but caffeine is good for your sex life, and I'm going to go through that shortly. Um, but even a 10-minute walk, so I cannot overestimate um, the walking. Also, do you drink too much? That can certainly impact your health. Uh, men who have more than 14 drinks a week and women who have more than seven are more likely to have kidney disease, liver disease, digestive issues, heart problems, 
bone damage and even some cancers and even some relationship issues. So those are some things that you can change in your life. Cut down the alcohol, wean yourself off. You don't want to have an alcoholic seizure, an alcohol with alcoholic withdrawal seizure. And if you've been drinking for 10, 20 years, you know, three or four drinks a day, you may in fact. So anyway, it's always best to live a healthy life and a sexy life. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here hosting this program for you. I want to talk to you about infidelity. Uh, A lot of people are in denial about this, and denial is a drug. But, you know, there are certain things that we know about infidelity, like it happens, like uh, men and women both cheat, like it happens in heterosexual relationships. It happens in same-sex couples. It can happen to anyone at any time, even people who say, I'm not the cheating type, have cheated. They have been surprised to find out that they have cheated, that they actually fell into the dark abyss that is cheating. It can hurt people, certainly. Love isn't so much an emotion uh, as it is a brain system. And when you have been betrayed in that love, uh, it can be so hurtful. Um, it's so, as I said, love isn't an emotion. It's a system, so think about that. And it's one of three that's related to being with somebody, being in a relationship, and also reproduction. But it's these two systems that explain why human beings are capable of infidelity. Even as we so highly value love and being in a committed relationship. So we we have to wonder... We think it's never going to happen to us, and then when it does occur, why does it happen to us? How common is it? And is this genetic? Is this familial? So pair bonding is a hallmark of humanity, and data from the demographic yearbooks of the United Nations on 97 societies between 1947 and 1992 indicate that approximately 93% of women, and 92% of men marry by age 49. There's a lot of people getting married. Maybe that's why my TEDx talk has resonated with a lot of people. Marriage is a thing. You're either getting married, you're not married, you were married, you don't want to get married, you want to get married. More recent data indicates that some 85% of Americans will eventually marry. However, monogamy is only part of the human reproductive strategy, and infidelity is common. So how can this be, this diametrical uh, opposition, diametrically opposed, these two things, being in love, wanting to marry, wanting to commit, and yet being unfaithful? Current studies of American couples indicate that 20 to 40% of heterosexual married men and 20 to 25% of heterosexual married women will also have an extramarital affair during their lifetime. And let's define that extramarital affair. I had a patient who said she'd actually had a, a one-night stand. She had a, she had a fling. She had a hookup when she was married. And her husband actually told her children about it. <laughs> they were having so many other problems in the relationship. And this wasn't one of them. But she felt tremendous guilt that she'd had that liaison. Th- that liaison. She was seeking pleasure. She had so much pain in her marriage, which ultimately ended in divorce. She needed to go outside. She needed to feel good about herself. She needed that rush of those hormones and those feel-good 
neurotransmitters that release, those chemicals. I said to her, you didn't have an affair. She kept saying, I had this affair. I feel so guilty. My kids are angry with me. I said, let's, let's just define this. One night stand, uh, one indiscretion is not an extramarital affair. Extramarital affairs come in many different forms, and they may be online, they may be emotional. When you start telling another person about the issues in your marriage, you're actually having an emotional affair. There's also sexual affairs. A lot of people, especially women, feel okay about about emotional affairs, but they don't feel the same about sexual affairs. They say, well, you know, we never had sex with her, so that's good. Phew. And it's actually like that he connected with her on an intimate level. It's actually far more dangerous, and you are more likely to lose your husband if he has connected emotionally, brain-to-brain, with another person outside of the marriage, if he starts telling your issues to somebody else. Brain architecture may be a contributing factor to infidelity. So as I said, we have, as human beings, we have three primary brain systems related to love. The sex drive evolved to motivate individuals to seek copulation with a range of partners, okay? It wasn't for one, it was a range of partners. Romantic love evolved to motivate individuals to focus their mating energy on specific partners. So we already have an opposition there. So that was to conserve courtship time and metabolic energy. So the energy you have at your cellular level. Partner attachment evolved to motivate mating individuals to remain together at least long enough to rear a single child through infancy together. Just infancy. That's why we see a lot of men go outside of the marriage in the first year after the baby has been born. Because they're not having sex. They cannot do it. That partner attachment is not sustainable even for that first year. But these three basic neural systems interact with one another and other brain systems in myriad, flexible, combinatorial patterns to provide the range of motivations, emotions, behaviors, ideals, morals that are necessary to orchestrate our complex human reproductive strategy. It's all about reproduction, procreation, having kids, But this brain architecture makes it biologically possible to express deep feelings of attachment for one partner while one feels intense romantic love for another. You see, you can, as I say, you can't just be attracted to one person for the rest of your life. You choose that partner. And if if that's every day, that's every day. But there's also a feeling, the need for that sex drive to have more extra dyadic partners. So somebody can have romantic love and for one person and it can be intense and deep feelings of attachment, but also an overwhelming sex drive to have sex with different people, other choices. And so that's a contributing factor to that infidelity. That is a fact about infidelity. It's not easy to remain faithful. Dare I say that? I am not condoning infidelity. I'm just saying this is what it is. Infidelity has been shown across all cultures as a reality. It was very common among the classical Greeks and Romans, pre-industrial Europeans, historical Japanese, the Chinese, the Hindus, 
Americans, Canadians, Inuit, everybody, everybody. This is something that occurs in all societies. And there are two different types of infidelity. Researchers have broadened the definition of infidelity to include the sexual infidelity, as I mentioned, sexual exchange with no romantic involvement. That's difficult, though, especially if the affair goes on for some time. You do start to get to know somebody. And romantic infidelity, so romantic exchanges with no sexual involvement and sexual and romantic involvement. So you can, that's the threesome there, okay? There's the sex, the romance, and the sex and the romance. So those are the different types of infidelity, and they each have their own dangers. So infidelity is something that, um, that occurs. Mate poaching is a trend. That's something else. There are so many contributing variables that play a role in the frequency and the expression of infidelity. But there is one thing that stands out. Infidelity is a worldwide phenomenon that occurs with remarkable regularity despite a universal disapproval of this type of behavior. And talk about judgment. I had a patient who drove home and uh, on his door, on his cul-de-sac, was a sign, a big banner on the front door that said cheater. Many women say to me, if my husband cheated on me, I would send out an all-points bulletin to everybody I know. Just really making the problem so much worse. I cannot tell you just how much worse it makes the problem. Infidelity is an issue. If it's a problem for you and you don't want to have it happen in your relationship, know that it doesn't necessarily signal an unhappy relationship, although there is a correlation. um, And many people who cheat describe their relationships as happy or very happy. So that also underscores that genetics may play a role in philandering. So you got to look at yourself, know yourself, know your issues, understand that there's a possibility that there's a gene that correlates to your infidelity. That's no excuse. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath here, registered nurse in the field of sexual health, uh, educating you about sex and everything that goes along with it. But I thought I'd give you a bit of anatomy lesson today, a bit of an anatomy lesson today. Uh, (laughs) Have I ever told you how the penis works? Did you know that the penis is the male sex organ? You thought it was the brain, right? Yeah. Anyway. They're thinking with this member, let me tell you. But you know, it's important for me to educate you about how the body functions so that in my next segment, I can tell you how to get better at things, okay? So oftentimes we have to peel back the layers of the onion and describe to you, because that can help you. If you know how things work, then you know what will make it work better or why there's a problem. So I'm a big believer in giving you all the information about how things work, especially when it comes to sex. So bear with me uh, as I go through this little scientific explanation for you. It's like you're in medical school, okay? I know you're smart. I know there's a bunch of brain surgeons out there listening to me, especially when it comes to sex. Uh, So as I said, the penis is the male sexual organ, uh, sex organ or sexual organ. The shaft is the longest part of it. And the head, or otherwise called the glands, we typically refer to it as the glands, is at the end of the shaft. And the opening at the tip of the head, or the glands, is where the urine and semen come out. And that is called the meatus. 
So inside of the shaft, there are two cylinder-shaped chambers called the corpora, corpora cavernosa, and they run the length of the penis. They have a, a maze of blood vessels, tissue, and open pockets. The urethra is the tube that urine and semen flow through, not at the same time, hopefully, um, and that runs along the underside of the corpora cavernosa in the spongy tissue of the corpus spongiosum. So the two main arteries, one of each, one in each of the corpora cavernosa and several veins are what move the blood in and out of your penis. And the nerves that emanate from your brain, the one up above your neck, relay messages to and from other parts of your body. So this relates to arousal and erection. And so you're probably wondering by now, what is an erection? You probably think you know, (laughs) but maybe you don't. Maybe somebody told you the wrong thing. An erection actually starts in your brain, and that's why we sometimes say that the brain is the largest sex organ. Something you may have seen or felt or smelled or heard or thought of makes your nerves send chemical messages to the blood vessels in your penis. This is why I have a problem with robotic sex dolls, which I've talked about in the past, um, because I'm not sure that they can mimic these things, this real human behavior. Anyway, the arteries relax in your penis and open up to let blood flow in it. And at the same time, the veins close up so that the blood doesn't leave. Once blood is in the penis, pressure traps it within the corpora cavernosa, and then your penis expands and holds the erection. And the better you are at blood flowing, the better your erection is going to be. So if you are living a healthy life, you're exercising, you're eating lots of healthy foods, antioxidant-type foods, good, clean, non-processed, leafy green vegetables and low glycemic index fruits, you're going to have a better, harder erection. And that is going to lead to better sex, better intimacy, a better sex life, more overall satisfaction, and more, as we say in the clinical research area of sexual health, more sexually satisfying events. How about that, huh? Hey, how many SSEs do you want to have today? As many as possible. (laughs) So that leads us to ejaculation. What is ejaculation? Ejaculation is when you're aroused. The tubes called the vas deferens squeeze sperm from the testes toward the back of the urethra. The seminal vesicles also release fluid there as well. The urethra senses the sperm and fluid mixture. And then at the height of sexual excitement or arousal, It sends signals to your spinal column, which in turn sends signals to the muscles at the base of your penis. And these contract powerfully and quickly, about every, just just under one second. So this forces the semen out of the penis as you climax. And that's basically what is happening to your member, to your body essentially, or to your penis anyway, during sexual arousal and erection and ejaculation. So that's how it works. So if you can be mindful of that, be mindful of blood flowing in and out of your penis, and that's associated with better erections and, and a better sex life, you, it might make you think, I want to live a healthier life because it's tied to my sex life. It's tied to how hard my erections are. Because when guys have erectile dysfunction, it actually can lead to depression or anxiety or worrying about performance issues. 
there was a study that was done. It was stopped rather quickly because we got the answer rather quickly. Uh, did Viagra help with depression, you think? Uh, anything that is going to help with erection function is going to help with depression because sex is important. And sex is important not only to women, but sex is important to men as well. And you're not going to have the same type of erection. Some of you may, but you're not necessarily going to have as as hard or frequent as an erection as you did when you were a teenager and you didn't appreciate them and you thought they would last forever. But, um, you know, there's a way to test to see if you're actually, if you're having erection function issues or erectile dysfunction, there is a way to test if there's sort of a psychological component, which there often is, or if you're even having, if you're able to have them. And it's a very simple test. And what we suggest to men to do is to tape a piece of paper around their penis, so around the shaft of their penis at night before they go to sleep. And then when they wake up in the morning, if the paper has been broken, then obviously they've had an erection in the night. So that's very helpful in terms of diagnosis in our clinics anyway and in in the research that we do. And so some people will say they're not able to get an erection any longer. A lot of people who watch an excessive amount of porn may have difficulty having an erection, getting an erection when they're with their lover, their partner, whomever. Um, so this can help because you that's very easy when you're looking at porn. It's very easy. It's extremely excitable, very arousing. Uh, it's quick. It's um, it's not real. You know, it's, uh, it's very quick. It uh, doesn't take that much time or any time at all. Your, your body actually and your mind gets used to this, this instant gratification, which is really mimicking the life in which we're leading today and the, the life we're, we're living today, which is quick, instant gratification. I want it now. Uh, why can't I have it? I don't want to wait. Uh, people don't have the patience that they used to because we can get emails, we can get text messages, we can get sex messages. We can turn on the TV. Porn is everywhere. We can turn on our computers, access it um, frequently, whenever we want to, from wherever we are. At very young ages, it's happening. It's having damaging effects on our little boys. Um, it's it's very, people expect or men expect sex to be that way. And it's not necessarily that way in real life. Um, so they can have uh, disappointed expectations. Uh, they expect kind of porn sex in the bedroom, and that may not necessarily be the case. So, um, it's, But it's important, I think, to understand how things work, how things function, thinking about your blood flowing, making sure that your blood pressure is within a normal and healthy range. So take that blood pressure, rest for about five minutes before you take that blood pressure, make sure your blood pressure is around 120 over 80, give or take a few. Um, so this is my little explanation on how your member works. And uh, when I come back, I'm going to tell you a secret ingredient on how to get a better erection. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.